Emily! So it is the end, but the moment has been prepared for. But for now, yeah, it's bye from me. Nicola, so she was the new co-host all along. You were expecting someone else? Welcome to If It's Hurting, It's Not Working, our podcast all about work, why we work, how we work, and what makes a great job. We're back with an episode all about making changes and moving on. And welcome to our new co-host, Nicola, who's a colleague and a friend of both Emily and me. Thank you, Richard. Um, I've really enjoyed listening to the podcast previously, and I'm very excited to be here. Brilliant. Yeah, well, that's that's excellent. So, I guess talking to our listeners, I mean, you, you may have been wondering what's happened to the podcast. I mean, I know I have. It's probably about June since we put out a, a regular episode. And I think we put something out in August briefly that just to, to try and explain what was going on. But if you wondered if it was ever coming back, in fairness, I wondered that too. Firstly, I guess I'd like to say big thanks to Emily, who helped to devise the format mm-hmm. in the first place. And she's been a big part of the success so far. But quite understandably, Emily decided that she's got other priorities in her life right now and so has moved on. But she she didn't want the podcast to come to an end. And after some careful thought, I asked Nicola if she'd like to pick up the mantle. Yeah, which I was both surprised and honoured by. I think I can echo your thanks to Emily as well. A lot of admiration for Emily in making the decision. Her emotional intelligence is incredible to be able to sit there and go, there's a lot going on at the moment. Where do I want to prioritise? Where can I invest myself best? Yeah. And that's something I really admire about Emily. But, you know, I still I feel a little like I'm keeping the seat warm for her. And you never know, one day all three of us might end up having a chat together. Well, that would be nice. It would. I guess, I mean, our title, if it's hurting, it's not working. And I'm not suggesting that the podcast was hurting for Emily, but Mm. it, it certainly wasn't working investing her energy in it so yes it, it would be it would be stupid the title that we've got for her to to continue with it if it's not what she wants to do yeah well i'm glad that you both thought of me and entrusted me with joining you on hopefully hopefully it goes well yeah yeah well i think i guess one of the reasons i thought of you nicola was because i thought you've got a sense of fun which i thought you would bring along to it mm-hmm. and you know good insight too so i thought you know perfect combo thank you very much and I guess, I mean, obviously I know you, but before we get to our main topic, which is about moving on and about making and seizing opportunities that take us away from what we know, I thought it would be a good idea for our listeners to get to know you a bit better. Hi all. I'm a sport mad mother of two and a wife to one sports mad husband. I've spent all of my formative years growing up in a military environment and participating in team sports. I'm not university educated. In fact, I didn't do all that well in my A-levels for one reason or another. But I've worked hard since leaving sixth form education and enjoyed my sport outside of the work environment. I have a particular interest in leadership, mentoring and coaching. 
I love to learn from the best about how they do what they do and hope to pass on some of that knowledge to others. My working career has taken many turns. I now work primarily in data, looking at protecting data and its use in an ethical manner, although my role is about to change. Brilliant. And in the first episode that we did, Emily and I talked about a number of aspects of our work lives. So I thought it would be a good opportunity to, to ask you some of the, some similar things. So what was your first job? My first job, I worked behind a bar. So I played sports quite a high level when I was younger and therefore Saturday jobs weren't really an option for me. Mm. I had incredibly supportive parents who allowed me to play sport and financially supported me essentially until I was out of sixth form college and then I worked behind a bar and trained to be a bookkeeper at the same time actually. Wow. Yeah that was my first one. Yeah for me I think the words Saturday and job just don't really compute so uh, similarly no. I didn't have a part-time job ever. I, I, uh, the first job I did was you know when I, when I left school. Okay well, what, what about your worst job? See I had to think about this one a little bit and then I had a bit of a flashback. <laughs> I I worked as a receptionist at a chicken farm once, and it was a, a very bizarre place. <laughs> Everyone finds that very amusing. It was, it's a lovely, it was a lovely setting out in the country and all yeah. things like that. But I worked on reception, and there were aspects of the, the job, you know, it was, it was a very administrative role. Yeah, I thought you were going to say it was the smell. Certainly the chicken farms that I've ever come across, yeah. you, you, you smell them before you see them. I did, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in in certain areas, it is quite pungent. But yeah, I did. I did quite enjoy that job in in other areas because they, believe it or not, there is a job of being an egg inspector. So oh, you right. go to chicken farms and you inspect eggs to make sure that they are up to the British lion standard. And every time the egg inspector turned up, it was a very busy day and everyone was very worried about it. And the egg inspector was actually a hockey friend of mine. So when he walked in the door, I was like, oh, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was quite popular that day because I was good friends with him. But uh, yeah, the rest, of the, the rest of that job was definitely not the finest one I've ever done. No. Have you retained your understanding of what makes a good egg? No, but I can. I think uh, there's something to do with spinning it. Tells you whether it's good or not. Oh right. Uh, that was what he used to do. He used to just spin the eggs and go, no, that one's no good. <laughs> I, did, I think it's voodoo, to be honest. I don't. I'm not entirely sure how he knows. Brilliant. Yeah, no, I thought you were going to say spin the egg, and he was able to say, no, that's that's male, that's female. But of course, that, that's a different sort of line of work, isn't it? That's that's, that's not the egg that you sell to eat. <laughs> okay. Well, look, what's what's the best job you've had so far? This one I found really hard because I've been lucky to have two or three jobs that I did really enjoy. But yeah, I think I used to work for a, an information security, cyber security firm. And my role there was client operations. So it was meeting different clients, explaining to them what happened when cyber tests were done. Sadly, if they'd ever been breached or you know mm-hmm. had some form of cyber attack, my job would be to sit with them and explain what's happening and try and keep them calm whilst everything was going on and talking about the steps and things like that. And yeah, I'm a very people focused person, as you know. Mm. So I think I enjoyed that job. The variety of that job was very good. It was very challenging though. Lots of long hours, late nights and incident response type activities, but definitely the one I enjoyed the most, I have to say. So you're sort of like the the infosec interpreter, are you? You're, you're sort of you know talking to the to the, to, the, to the people who don't really understand what's going on and, and, and giving them a, a an explanation of, of of why, how, and where and whatever. Yeah, it was a bit of both. I think you know there are a lot of people. I think you've got to remember as well. This was over a decade ago. Yeah. And 
and it was still kind of an emerging market and not many people had heard about it. And there's a lot of jargon in InfoSec yes. that you have to kind of bust your way through and explain what the simple, you know, it's all very simple stuff, but it has big yeah. complicated words around it. And what we found, particularly when incidents happen, you would be speaking to people who don't deal with it on a daily on a daily basis. So yeah. therefore, you know, the panic sets in and you yeah. kind of in, kind of bring them in to the, the fold and just be like, actually, you know, let's gather the information, let's get all the facts before we make decisions about what the next steps are. Because in those scenarios, you, your instinct is to react. And actually what yes. you need to do is just kind of stop and think and collate your information. You know, there's a reason why you're given normally 72 hours to report those sorts of breaches so yes. that you can get all the information together to then make a, an informed decision about how you move forward. So, yeah. but I, I learned a lot. It was a very steep learning curve for me. I learned a lot about people in that job as well, which has helped in future roles. I imagine if, if you act too quickly in those situations, you can cause something irrevocable that you might wish you hadn't done like further down the line. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly if it goes into a, you know, a criminal case is very simple, like there's very structured steps you have to right. take in order to to keep the evidence as it should be, I think is probably the easiest way to put it. Yeah. I mean, I think you've already started to talk about this, but, but I'm interested in what the secret of your success is. What, what, what do you think it is about you that makes you, yeah, unique and and effective i suppose i don't know whether i'd say i'm unique but thank you anyway i'll take it <laughs> people i think is probably the secret to how i build relationships and when i've moved roles and moved from different businesses i grew up in a military environment so we moved every couple of years and you learn very quickly how to to read people, to build relationships, even from a very young age, and also understanding hierarchy and how that works and how you approach different levels of hierarchy and the information you give to different levels of hierarchy. But fundamentally, I love people. I love getting to know what motivates them, what makes them get out of bed in the morning and, and do what they do. Although, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't currently say I'm successful. I've still got a bit of a way to go there, but it's definitely, definitely the thing that that helps me progress through jobs and careers and relationships that I build along the way. My observation would be that when something is when something is serious, you take it deadly seriously. But mm. you're also you've got a keen sense of fun, and I think that that helps. I mean, work can be a slog, and nobody really wants it to be if you can avoid it. So you know mm. if. Yeah, if, if it can be a little bit of fun along the way, then that, that definitely helps a lot. And I, I think you've got that impish sense in you that kind of just, just helps to, yeah, to, to make it a little bit more, a little bit more fun, a little bit less, a little bit less of a slog. Absolutely. I think, and again, going back to the InfoSec world, when you're, when you're working on stuff and it's happening in, you know, the middle of the night or something's happened late afternoon and you end up working through the night trying to resolve what the problem is or communicate or, you know, not always an infosec in a job I did previously. Like we used to have to get CAD drawings out first thing in the morning and frequently we'd be working through the night to get it done. Mm. And those times when you're kind of, you're sat there at three, four o'clock in the morning with your colleagues and you find something utterly hilarious, like hearing the dawn chorus. I remember hearing the birds sing once and just being in absolute fits of hysterics because 
honestly, if you don't, you're going to cry. You'll find yourself <laughs> somewhere not not very happy. But you know, I say like I've worked all of these hours and everything like that. But I think it's really important to mention that the companies and the leaders that I've worked with when I've done that have have given you the time to recover and the space to recover, mm. and allowed you that 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 freedom to actually go out and have dinner with the people that you went through that experience with and talk about it and share it and which bits were painful and which bits were good and you know just share over a couple of drinks and a dinner and so I think that has really resonated with me like when you do go through these high pressure situations or things that are difficult to handle to just sit down and have an open conversation with somebody over a drink or a meal or Mm. even just going for a walk I find really cathartic and yeah on reflection I think what you've said is probably a much better answer than what I gave, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it has to be fun, right? You know, yeah. it takes up so much of our time. If if it's not fun, then I don't think it, you get the best out of people. I recall, I mean, the hardest thing that you and I did, which, which was when we were working in our employee representative roles, and it was also during the, the pandemics, you, you know, the, the worst phase of it. So we were unable to do the things that you're talking about, to get sort of get together afterwards and, and, and talk about it. But nonetheless, I think, I mean, we did do that afterwards, I suppose, a little bit. But but uh, yeah, I mean, it, nonetheless, I guess we still had f- tried to find opportunities for making light of the situation where we could. Yeah. Mm. I think it's also the environment as well. You know, I think we had opportunity to all jump on a video call and talk through everything that we'd experienced but actually in that environment it's very hard for you know the quieter people in the room to have a voice and be heard and actually Mm. generally they have really good opinions about what's happened yeah and I think where we've now met face to face after that process those opinions have come out and I think that's you can't get that in this in this video world that we're now Mm. in I think that's that's the one thing that I regret COVID giving us. I think the flexibility and everything was great, but that. So, so if I try and help, I think it's. Yeah. I, th- I think it's it's too easy for us to revert to sitting in our sheds and, you know, having that remote conversation rather than getting in there and being face to face. And there are reasons for doing both. So I'm I'm definitely not a person who says we should be face to face all the time. But I think. Mm-hmm. Because there's that that extra barrier to getting face to face now, it's it's easy for us not to do it, but we regret mm. it in the long term when we don't do it. I think. Absolutely, I mean it. It kind of leads to the discussion that we were going to have as well about, I'm um, you know moving roles. Yeah. Literally in the next ten days, I will be moving into a new job, and my new job is a remote job, and right. being a very people focused energetic person i have concerns about being 100% remote and not being 10 minutes away from the office and actually if i feel like i need a change of scenery i can pop in there hmm. and that that is one of my concerns moving into this new role hmm. so and, and have you thought about how you're going to to handle that and tackle it what's going to make that yeah. work for you yeah, I have. I've started looking into co-working spaces where I live. Um, oh, yeah. So seeing if there there are some areas in hotel foyers or, yeah. interestingly, a friend of mine is a landlady of a pub in the, villi- in the village, in the town, and she's actually set up a co-working area within 
her, she's got quite a large pub, so she set yeah. up a footprint that has none of the speakers on, little tables set up, you know, teas, coffees and biscuits and everything. And she said she does it every Monday to Thursday from 10 till 4. Hmm. And I was like, actually, that's a brilliant idea because for her, that's a really quiet time. But actually, it would bring in revenue, but also it gives people like myself somewhere to go and and actually just feel a bit of energy of people moving around you, not necessarily interacting, but hmm. just being able to watch people out of the window, you know. So that's one thing I've been exploring. And the second thing is just ensuring I get out of my shed in my mm. garden and yes. go yes. and do a bit of exercise at lunchtime. You know, whether that's with a friend, you know, I'm lucky to live close to some old colleagues as well as they will be in a couple of weeks time to just be able to pick up with them and go for a walk and catch up mm. on what's been going on. So I think those those are my initial thoughts on coping mechanisms to to make sure I, I don't get all sad and lonely in my shed in the garden. Yeah, for me it's unpredictable and it's and it, and, it, and it's funny where the spark comes from. You know, so generally what once twice a week something will happen that will lead you down a path that you wouldn't have anticipated, but mm. will will be kind of like a breakthrough in in one particular task or or a, an area of your life. And yeah, it, it's it's that combination of the stuff that you already know and then something spontaneous taking you in a different direction. And I mm-hmm. think sitting in the same room in the same space all the time gazing at a screen is unlikely to give you that kind of spark. Whereas yeah. going for a walk, looking at your, the garden, meeting an old friend or sitting in a in a pub and just sort of, yeah, yeah. unusual things happening may well make it happen. So, so yeah, I, I think those are all pretty good strategies. Yeah. It's an an intimidating thing to move on, but I think doing the routine a little bit differently makes it feel different rather than sitting in your desk in the same way that it's been for this job. Hmm. For the, when I start the new job, I'm planning on putting my desk in a different position. You know, I have a different (laughs) setup, you know, I break the routine of my day into something different so that it, it really feels like a new phase. I've been with the employers that I'm with now for five years, but you know, mm. you've been with them for for much longer than that, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Ninety six was when I moved down to. to I won't Hampshire. tell you what I was doing in nineteen ninety six. It's it's perfectly okay. I know that I'm old. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the thing is, it, it. I remember when I first started work, I, I met someone in the first week who'd been working for, for almost 25 years at that at this place. And I, th- I looked at him and I thought, how could anybody work here for 25 years? That's just ludicrous. I mean, it's just, there's just no sense to that. How could that possibly happen? And then in finding myself having worked for longer than that in one organization, I guess for, I mean, the first thing is it isn't working in the same organization really because mm. things change you know every yeah. time you get a new chief executive every time what what support percentage of the workforce is still there 27 years on i mean there are some i have to say but not yeah. not very many so so yes it is essentially a new company with the same kind of shell i mean we do the same stuff but even even then we don't do precisely the same stuff we do some stuff that is kind of similar but, you know, it's the stuff that you do now rather than the stuff you, you did then in that industry. Mm. So so actually, the company is, is unrecognisable. The work that I do is unrecognisable. And 
Yeah, so actually, and, and of course, there were so many times during the course of that period that I could have moved on and done something different. And then, you know, by chance, a job that I'd applied for, I decided not to take or they didn't want me or mm. a redundancy that could have happened, you know, somebody else you know, took the bullet instead. There's all sorts of things along the way that, 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 that could have changed things. So it is, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's luck and it is, yeah, it, it, it's not, it's not quite the way that you think it would be when you work in one place for a long period of time. I think also like your role evolves, like you say as well, you know, you say your work is unrecognised, but I just want to be clear that it's very well recognised. What we do. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's uh you know, you think about it, over that period of time, like the different jobs you've had in that time. Hmm. And actually, you know, I was reading something the other day, which I believe you sent me, actually, which is about, what was it, career commitment? Was that right. what you... Yeah, yeah, about actually saying it shouldn't really matter so much about working for such a long time for one organisation. It's actually you've promoted and changed or shifted into a different area or learn some new expertise, some new skills, you become a people manager, you've moved away from people management, you move into this. So actually, it's a career path that would look very similar on any CV. Mm. It's just that it's always been with one company, which is very much what my uncles and my parents did. Mm. But now, I think I'm on career number two. And mm. my generation are told that we're going to have at least three careers in our working career, like professional careers. So mm. I've gone from bookkeeper to information security so it's you know i'm intrigued as to what the third career is going to be now yeah i think i think i I respect the 25 years in an organization and i don't see it as a bad thing i see it as maneuvering through one organization in in a good way yeah but do you think there's um any reason you've not ever really committed to like to moving on like really going for it yeah, okay, I'll come to that. I was just going to say uh, that in, in answer to your previous thing, I think I've probably have also had three three careers in that I started out as an engineer, which is, you know, very much a hands-on, make stuff happen, see the result very quickly, you know, practical, pragmatic sort of a job. Then I was a people manager for 10 or 15 years, mm. not hands-on at all, and very much whatever you get done, it's it's via other people and and then latterly a technologist so i suppose once again more more involved in technology than people but not hands-on more sort of you know strategically uh, looking at how, the, how you move the pieces to make it work so so yeah i mean even in, even in one place you can have three different careers mm. and also i worked in the nuclear industry and then in broadcast but that yeah. wasn't the question that you asked me the question you asked me i thought i've forgotten but but go on remind me <laughs> it was, is there anything in particular that you think has stopped oh, yes. what you stopped from me? really going for it i think uh, essentially there were probably a couple of times when there was something on the table that i could have taken and i stepped back from it and I think, you know, on both of those occasions, I looked at what was being offered and I looked at what I already had. And it didn't seem to me that what was being offered was worth enough to move on for. So I think, if you know, if, if, the, if the opportunity had been more exciting or the money had been better or the, the place where it was or whatever, if there was something about it that had truly excited me. I would have taken it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think I think it. it in both of those occasions it just wasn't exciting enough and i mean i've been very lucky because i'd say in those in those 27 years i think only 
once or twice have there been times when I felt slight, even slightly reluctant to come into work almost all mm. of the time I mean look don't get me wrong I'm not the kind of person who jumps out of bed in the morning and says great you know it's a work day <laughs> but, but you know by and large I wake up in the morning and I think okay you know uh, I, I like the weekends and I'd, and I'd rather it was one of those but it, yeah. it's a work day I, I don't yeah. mind I don't mind this place and, and this job that I'm doing it's all right you know uh, yeah. I, 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 I quite enjoy it that's good that's good to hear Yeah, so I guess with a boot on the other foot, then as someone who has moved on, on uh, you know, I mean, I I did it twice at the start of my career, but but yeah, what what causes you to move on? What 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 is it? It was all the things that you just said you'd stayed for. <laughs> so the role that I'm moving to, I was contacted about. I looked at the job description. Everything in the job description makes me want to get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, the money was better. The package was better. It's in a sector that I've not worked in before that I would like mm. to work in, that I would like to have experience in. So, yeah, it just it just ticked all the boxes. You know, something just came along that was just too good to not explore. And then I was incredibly lucky to be offered the role. And I'm very excited about it. I am very reluctant to leave my job. I do love the people I work with. But the latest role I've been doing, I, I've not enjoyed as much as I would have, have hoped. So... Mm. Yeah, it seemed it just seemed like the right time, the right time and the right opportunity in the right sector for the right money. And I have a young family, so I do need to think about them as well and their future yeah. and things like that. So, yeah, I, get, I think that's probably all of the reasons why it's nothing to do with people or the company. I love the people. I love the company. I'm very proud of what it does. But the new job is just a bit a bit too good to not yeah. give it a go and look i mean i i don't think i mean you shouldn't get sentimental about these things because great as organizations are mm-hmm. they 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 will drop you in a heartbeat if you, you're you're no longer they, what they consider to be effective or you know if, yeah. if what you do is no longer something that they think is core cool. so so yeah, yeah i mean you, you you can love the people that you work with you can be really impressed by the ideals of the organization but you won't continue to work for them if they don't think that they need you right so so yeah. it, 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 when you when you have an opportunity and you say actually this is a step change for me I mean you know loyalty yeah but but you know in the end you have to be loyal to yourself and to your to your family and to mm-hmm. your ambition and you, and you have to take it and you know the people the people I've created true friendships with will always be there you know mm. those I'm still friends with old colleagues from 15 years ago. If you make the effort to maintain that friendship, there's no reason why that friendship should end just because you're working for another organisation, mm. which I am regularly reminding a couple of people at the moment who are still quite cross with me that I'm leaving. But <laughs> yeah, I think that's the one thing I've learned in 15, the last 15 years is if they, if they are true friendships, they will stick and you will stay in contact with them. And I'm, I'm lucky to, to have a handful of those people you have stayed my friends. Yeah, I was perplexed. We used to have a company survey and one of the questions was, do you have a best friend at work? And I was used to think, what the heck are they talking about? Why <laughs> would I have a best friend at work? I, you know, I come to work to work and I have, yeah. and I have friends. But I have to say, um, you know, 
and it's probably only in the last five years or so I now do have a you know a bunch of people who I work with who I do consider to be friends. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean it you know it can happen in different ways and at different times in your life. Yeah, yeah. I think for me it's very much that that pressure situation of being pushed into pressure situations and working with people mm. in those environments. You do you you either find you really dislike each other or you find <laughs> that you like each other a lot. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then yeah. you know, you bond over those incidents and things like that. And I, yeah, I think the majority of my friendships of work have come from from those sorts of experiences. Yes. Yes. And perhaps that's that's one of the reasons why I didn't. I mean, I, I suppose having a, a management job at a relatively early age it puts you in a funny position. So you can't really make friends with the people that you, that are working for you. It, it's I mean, it, it can happen, but it but it's it's difficult. It's awkward. It doesn't. It, it, yeah, it's, it's it's yeah. Being matey, particularly as a young manager, is is is, is difficult. So oh, yeah, I learned I, that the hard way as well. That right. was, <laughs> that's why I took ten years away from line management. So right. Yeah, and, and on reflection, now I'm older and wiser. I can realise actually, yeah, some of those decisions weren't all the person who was reporting to you. Some of those might have been on yours. So yeah, I'd agree. It's uh, it, yeah, it was definitely a tough call at a young age to do that for sure. Mm. So I think it, go on. There's just one of the other things I was going to say. You know, whilst it's not being sentimental about the company, I think the product you deliver can also bond you as a group. Like mm-hmm. if you're delivering something that genuinely makes a difference to the day-to-day lives of people, mm-hmm. and you know, really does provide value to their life. I think if you work for a company that does that, you you have pride in that product. You have pride in the value that it brings. Mm. And I think as a collective, if if you are all working in the same way to deliver said product in a positive way, I think that can bond you. You know, mm. to 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 meet somebody in the street, particularly if you work for quite an obscure firm, mm. you deliver you know something that not a lot of people know about. To be able to meet an alumni who's worked there and go, oh, yeah, I worked there, I worked there. And it's it's a really lovely feeling mm. that somebody else understands what it is that you've done. So whilst it might not be the company, I think sometimes the product or the brand can bring people together and uh, make it hard to leave because mm. you do really enjoy the value that you're bringing by by making that product work or, you know, delivering it to people. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, 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 it's it's funny that to think that there are definitely people i mean i guess if you if you if you if you forget about the hours when you're actually asleep and particularly when we were working in offices there are people that you work with that you see far more of than you than you see your own family so it's not not a surprise perhaps that that you that colleagues begin to feel like family absolutely and, yeah. you know and, and you know and life is all about stories and you know the the thing as much as anything i guess is we want to know how people's stories change and go on and move and that, mm. you know, that that's the thing that perhaps you you fear when you move on is, oh, I, I won't know how it turns out. I won't know how that person's story goes, and they won't know about mine. But yeah, as you as you say, it is possible to um, to stay in touch if you, but you have to put effort into it. It's the age-old FOMO syndrome, isn't it? The fear of missing out syndrome. Mm. Yeah. I mean, people say that a lot a lot of it is to do with line manager. I mean, I, I think. I think it's really important that you respect the person who manages you or at least kind of have some kind of 
way of getting along with them. I mean, the, the couple of times I was talking about earlier, a lot of it had to do with the relationship uh, that I had with my line managers at that point. And I think it, when it goes wrong, if they don't trust you or if you don't trust them or both, then it very quickly makes even a, even a good job very hard to do. Mm, absolutely. I'm just trying to think if I can't think off the top of my head of any bad line managers that I've had. I've had I've had some that have taken the the laissez-faire approach a little too far in mm. just leaving me alone to get on with my job yeah. and actually just never hearing from them and <laughs> no support or direction. Uh, yeah. They're they're quite challenging, but you know, leadership and leadership is something I spend a lot of time researching listening to podcasts about reading books mm. about defining good leadership you know what does it look like and it's even through all of those different sources there are there are always a couple a couple of common attributes around sort of honesty and kind of transparency you always seem to be the two that pop up and I've been I've been very lucky to have line managers generally that portray both of those attributes so it, it makes it hard hard to take that step to resign when you do like your line manager. Mm. I can imagine it's not so difficult if you if you don't have a great working relationship in that way. I don't think I've ever had a, a manager, whilst I've had good relationships with them, I don't think I've ever had one that has made me stay at a company when I've had a good offer No. to go elsewhere. No, but I, so I guess it's interesting if you think about it the other way around. I mean, I suppose generally when, when we have an offer from elsewhere, Although it's from an organisation, it's also from a person and it's a person that we've met maybe in an interview or two or, or spoken to on the phone a bit. So, so yeah. we're already, I suppose, forming a relationship there. And that's yeah. part of the of the pull towards the new, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Certainly is for me. I think that would that would be a factor in making a decision for me of being interviewed by somebody and thinking, actually, I just don't think we're going to get on. Hmm. You know, that that would be a huge factor for me because that that relationship is very important. Yeah, I've had that happen to me when I've interviewed somebody, a candidate has said, no, thank you. I don't think hmm. that I would want to work with them. Strange person. I know. I was, yeah, that one, <laughs> that one hit the hit the core quite hard. That did. I was like, what? Everybody likes me. <laughs> I'm a very very lovely person. What do you mean? Yeah. But yeah. I think it is it is very important. I think it's also why I invest so much time in understanding what good leadership looks like. Mm. Yeah, and so I, I mean, I think what, you know one of the things that I that I was thinking when when we discussed this topic previously is that we all need renewal on a, on a fairly regular basis. So I think whether you take a new job, or whether you take you know a different job at the place where you already work, or even if it's just changing your office around so it faces in a different direction, as you were mm. suggesting, something that brings a new spark, something that that means it's not just the same old. I, I think the one part, the one point in my life when I became a zombie worker was when I did the same job for too long, mm. and it was one of those things where I was doing a good enough job and no one else really understood it that they didn't really want want me to get rid of me. But equally, you know. Uh, <laughs> And, and there was a lack of imagination, I think, as well, to see where else I could fit. But once mm. once we made, once that spark arose and once I got something else, it made a massive difference because, yeah, suddenly I'm doing something that 
that excites and inspires me rather than the, the same old, same old. Yeah. Somebody said to me a while ago, somebody I trust probably about three or four years ago now, had I interviewed for a job recently, and this was one of my directors, so not my line manager, their boss. Mm. Instead of you interviewed for a job recently, I said, no, no, like panicked thinking, yeah. what have they heard? <laughs> what have they seen on LinkedIn? Am I in trouble? And they said, well, you should. You should interview for a job every year. You should apply for a job in your field or a job you want to go for and get yourself an interview, do the interview and learn from it every year because it gets you in a position where you understand what the market are looking for and also whether you're ready to take that next step in your career, like which bits are you missing from the interview, which questions were horrendous that you couldn't answer, which bits were you comfortable with and using it as a learning experience. Now, every recruiting manager who's listening to this is probably like, no, don't say that. I don't want just a load of random people coming for interviews for a bit of coaching and self-growth. Mm. You know, I actually want them to be applying for my job. But I have to say it, it really helped me in terms of interview technique, understanding what I wanted to do, what field I want to go into, what sector I wanted to work in, which businesses I liked the look of and which I didn't. And I think that's probably one of the best bits of advice I've been I've been given in terms of looking to the future and, and potentially moving on hmm. and getting that confidence in yourself to look, I think, is, is the key thing. I think also different phases of your career give you different, you've got different aspirations. I think you know, for me, I, I still think I've got a good number of years left in me in, term, in terms of working career. You know, maybe as many as maybe as many as fifteen, but nonetheless, I think when you don't have that kind of raw ambition anymore, I mean, for me, I guess what's important is that the work experience is good and that what I'm doing is making a difference. And so, I think at an earlier phase of my life, I wouldn't have valued that so much, and I was and I was perhaps more ambitious and more thinking about, well, I just want to go somewhere where I'm going to be paid more. Or you know, I've got more responsibility, whatever. And you can end up doing a job that you really hate just be, just in order to get you know the extra money or the extra responsibility, whatever. I think now I've I have settled on the view that I'm not prepared to go through a couple of years of doing a job that I hate just to get experience so that I can do a job that I like better later on. Because mm. you know I, I'm never going to get those two years back. I'd rather I'd rather be doing yeah. something that I that, that I enjoy. Yeah. So mm. so yeah, I I I, I guess. You know, at different phases in, in, in your life, you make different bargains. I mean, it's completely off the cuff, but then I was thinking about this the other day. Do you remember what you wanted to do when you were a child? What you wanted to be when you grew up as such? Yeah, I think I wanted to work in the space programme. That was kind of yeah. what inspired me. See, I wanted to be a dinner lady. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, look, I mean, it brings, you know, comfort and gratification to kids. Oh. They were just the most wonderful women in my primary school as well. They were warm. They gave yeah. me food. They yeah. helped me cut up my dinner. They, yeah. And they'd come out at playtime and they'd be lovely. And I just remember getting this warmth and, yeah. you know, this feeling of homeliness and safeness around these mm. women that when my parents asked me at eight what I wanted to do, I was like, I'd, I'd like to be a dinner lady. That or, you know, an Olympic hockey player. To be one of those had the potential of working out, one didn't. But uh, sort of talking to my to my kids about it, and you realise all of a sudden that as you grow older, you completely forget why you want a job. Why do you want to work? Mm. Like, you know, 
I wanted that job because to me that was the best job in the world. Yes. I got to look after kids and I got to feed them and they'd be happy yeah. and I'd be doing that. And then all of a sudden it then becomes about money and status and job titles yeah. and you know all of that. That actually when do you when do you stop and reflect and go well, what do I enjoy doing? What do I actually want to do? What do I want to get out of bed every morning and feel like I've done something at the end of the day? Yeah. And my kids reminded me of that recently. So I think they were very much part of the process of kind of making this move. So. Yeah. I think that's a fantastic, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a real way of opening our eyes and, and reminding us of, of kind of core values. So, yeah, no, thanks mm. for that. I think it's fascinating, actually, because, you know, I mean, as you know, I mean, I do have an academic background, but I'm not mm. I'm not all necessarily all that impressed by that academic side. And I mm. think too many people are pushed down it. I think it's interesting yeah. that, that, you know, both the collaborators I've had on this podcast, you know, have, have taken different routes from the one that I did. Mm. I think there's too much of that. I mean, I see it with my daughter at the moment. You're kind of told mm. this is what you have to do. This is the path that yeah. you have to take. And, and at the end of it, you know, a, a job. And I just think, well, well, yeah, I mean, for some people that works and for other people yeah. it doesn't work. Exactly. And yeah. I, I, I just wish that, that, that there was a little bit more of a sense of actually there are there are many paths through life and yeah. conformity isn't necessarily the one that we want to be teaching our kids i mean we see it so much with particularly young athletes that we coach of parents saying it's this it's sixth form it's university and you'll get a scholarship if you play at this level and you'll do that and this and that and you can go to this university mm. and the amount of times i've sat down with young athletes sort of being like between the age of 14 and 16 and they're just like i just don't want to go to university and I don't know how to explain it and you know your job is to guide them it's not to tell them what to do it's kind of like well there are other things you can look at go and speak to your teachers speak to your careers people and actually the myriad of apprenticeships that are out yeah. there now yeah. is incredible that mm. if I'd have had that opportunity there is absolutely no way I would have even considered university mm. which I did but I didn't do well enough in my A-levels but yeah, I, th I find it really upsetting that not enough people, well, not enough, I don't know whether it's schools or whether it's the the apprenticeship programmes or stuff, it just feels like it's not advertised enough that there is more out there, that there are more options. And I would I would like to see more of that. But yes. Do you find yourself reluctant to tell people where you went to university? Yes. Yeah, I see this a lot with friends who've who've been to certain universities now they they feel very reluctant to answer the question which i think is a real shame because you should be really honored <laughs> not honored really proud of where you went yeah i mean it, and what you've done i mean there's definitely a thing right because if you are a white male middle-aged middle class kind of mm, yeah that's where you're going yeah oxbridge educated you know, there's a sense in which people say, well, you know, you're from a you're from a privileged background. Yep. Why are you where, you know, or, or that's that's the only reason you've got to where you are. And I, I mean, yeah. I can tell a different story. I, I can say that I am the son of parents who didn't go to university. I'm two generations removed from minors. And yeah, I mean, you know, and I come from, from the north of England. So, yeah, I mean, I guess the you can tell different stories depending upon which parts you leave in and leave out. And the truth of the matter is I'm both of those things. Yeah, I'm both, absolutely. I'm, I'm both the boy who went to a fee paying grammar school and to 
Churchill College, Cambridge, and I'm also the grandson of, you know, someone who really struggled through the general strike. And, mm. you know, all of those experiences make up who you are. Absolutely. I don't have anything else to say now. You've just mic dropped. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, I mean, Nicola, thanks ever so much for the time you've taken today. I mean, I I know and, you listen, and our listeners won't what you've gone through in order to make the time for us to talk, but I really appreciate it. And, and I hope that um, our listeners appreciate the chat we've had too, because I think you know, we've covered a lot of ground with that. Yeah, I've loved it. Thanks very much for your patience getting to this point. It has been a lot of fun. Thank you, Richard. Brill. Hi everyone, so I thought I'd just hop on and explain why I've made the tougher decision and it's been a really tough decision to hang up my boots on the If It's Hurting It's Not Working podcast. I've really enjoyed my time firstly I want to say working with Richard on this. It came about because we had worked together on an internal podcast in our workplace and when I moved roles it meant we could no longer do that so we decided to create this one so that we could still continue that relationship that we had. So given that, that all went well, but then my life changed and it got really busy. My son moved away to join the army and moved five and a half hours away from me, which I found really tough. And the run up to that just became really busy. There's lots of spinning plates going on for me and I just felt I really was pushing myself to the limit with saying yes to everything and I just had to look at all my priorities and think where can I make more room in my life so I'm not as busy and stressed and as tired at the end of the day. So with a heavy heart it was decided by myself that actually now was the right time to step away. Richard's doing a fantastic job at it and I know that Nicola while she says she's just sitting in my chair temporarily and keeping it warmer for me I know that she's going to do a fantastic job of it and who knows what might happen in the future like she said you may see a three-way podcast three co-hosts in the future or you might not but for now I just wanted to say thank you all for listening please keep listening with Nicola and Richard I certainly will be and take care everyone thanks bye so look, if you've enjoyed this episode, please rate our podcast and leave reviews in places like Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. Also tell your family, tell your friends, tell your colleagues and your neighbours. But if you didn't like it, don't tell a soul. We'll start again to post material on our webpage, ifhurtnot.work. And there, there are links to our podcast episodes and to all our social media accounts. And it's one place you can go to get everything that we're doing. So, yeah, thanks for joining us. We have a Twitter account at If Hurt Not Work. We've got a LinkedIn page. And there's, there's other ways in which you can get in touch with us. But mostly, thanks for listening. And, yeah, if you can tell a few other people along the way, then that would be great. And, and we hope to be back at some point soon. So, so, I guess, bye for now. Bye. Okay, we're there. We'll start again to post material on our webpage if hurt not. Dot, sorry, I can't even speak it. Yeah, no, it's not. I got it. I got it right, and then I, and then I lost confidence. <laughs>